But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Now then, we'll read from uh, Matthew 6, 1 following. Jesus talks first about the giving of alms. It's interesting that before he discourses on prayer, he talks about uh, giving. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, or they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May God bless to us an understanding of this part of his word. I was thinking while the handbell choir and while Estelle were playing that beautiful hymn, Joseph Scriven wrote that up in Canada. He was a young, dedicated minister of the gospel who was engaged to be married in just two weeks, and the one to whom he was to be married uh, tragically drowned in a boating accident, and the grief was terribly severe for him. His friends thought that the depression would be more than he could bear. But in it all he prayed, and he prayed to Jesus, and he found in him one who understood him. And that's why those words mean so much. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You can remember going to see a dear father who had a little girl whose wife had died, 
and he was going through the sad task of trying to explain to her uh, why her body had to be taken to the cemetery and why she was buried. And then later, as I worked through the grief with him and going to see him, he had to pray about how to do the laundry, how to cook the meals, how to do the other things that a mother is always doing. And how he had found in Jesus Christ an answer to prayer, one who understood him. And when you stop to think of some of the grief that we bear, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. One of the wisest Christians I ever knew told me one time that when we got to heaven, that one of the things the angels would ask of us is why didn't you pray more? Because so many things could be wrought by prayer and you do not pray more. Now then, let us turn to Matthew chapter 6 again. And if you don't have it, just turn in page 12 to the copy in your Bible of the Lord's Prayer. Last week we had worked our way to the place in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus, who teaches us to pray, tells us to, when we pray, to say, Our Father. And you will remember that I told you that this must have come as quite a shock uh, to his apostles because the very name of God was held in such uh, awesome reverence that uh, one of the best Bible scholars that I've talked with about it told me that that, uh, and he has visited that Qumran community place in, in the Dead Sea, that when the scribe would scribe the, the word for Lord, which was a circumlocution, a way of getting around the use of the name of God, that they would never use that pen again. They kept very, very sacred the use of the name of God. And here Jesus is praying in such a way that he uses the word Abba, and the closest thing to that in its translation to us would be the affectionate term that a little child uses of his father, daddy. And that must have come as something of a joke. And yet it is the Lord's favorite use in his addressing of himself to God all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he teaches us that we are to hallow his name. To hallow means to make holy. And please, may I say this and not be misunderstood when I say it. Uh, we need to do all that we can to rectify injustices that are done between uh, discrimination regarding uh, the rights of men and women. But I would be very careful about changing the Lord's Prayer to say our parent who art in heaven or our mother who art in prayer in heaven. That's not praying. That's propaganda. And it's going outside of what Jesus said. He said, hallowed be thy name. And he said, say our father. Don't try to be kinder than Jesus. And don't try to be more sensitive than Jesus. Just obey Jesus and you'll have all that you can do. And you'll be all that you ought to be. We hallow his name when our life and our teaching are truly Christian. 
And so this petition is at one and the same time a challenge to Christian action, and it's an invitation to Christian commitment, because it means in our life we are going to hallow the name of God. If I may be forgiven for remarking about this, a few years ago it was my privilege to go as an envoy of the President of the United States on some trips to Vietnam. And on, my purpose was to uh, go and see about refugee settlements and to interview missionaries and the treatment of, of people while our armies went through certain areas. But wherever I landed, because I was a presidential envoy, a representative of the president, and had come directly from the White House and went to Travis Air Force Base and flew directly to Pearl Harbor, a person of the rank of the accompanying officer with me, who was a full captain in the United States Navy, that's equal to a brigadier general in the Army, had to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, go out to the airport, and be there when we arrived. He had to salute and ask if there was anything we required. And then we went on our journey. And when I arrived, there were briefings that were to be done uh, and listened to, and I had to present certain medals and to do certain things. But I had to be careful to remember that uh, I was the envoy of someone else and that I was representing him. And therefore, I had to be careful about my manners. And I had to be careful about what I said and careful about what I did. Now, as a Christian, we represent God. Through Jesus Christ, we become his child, and we bear his name. And so we are to hallow that name. We are to make it precious among people because they see in us a quality of life that reminds them of our Heavenly Father. And so we come to the next petition in the Lord's Prayer. There are three that have to do with the greater glory of God and three that have to do with our particular needs. But it's interesting that the first prayer that Jesus makes is that we should live worthy of that name. Hallowed be thy name. Don't joke with the name of God. Do not take the name of God lightly. Do not use blasphemous profanity. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And vain means uselessly, uh, without thought and without meaning. As soon as that prayer has been made, a prayer like unto it is offered in that second petition. Thy kingdom come. I told you a moment ago that the Jews were very strict in the use of the name of God. They were so strict that they preferred to talk about his kingdom. They even had prayers that they used if they used the name of God inadvertently. Prayers offering, asking for the forgiveness of God if by accident they had said his name. And so they spoke often of his kingdom. Now that means kingly reign, kingdom. You know what a domicile is, I hope. Uh, that's your home. Uh, it's the domain. And he is the king over the domain. And we must remember that we don't pray, my name 
be hallowed. That's where a lot of Christians really get into trouble. They want to glorify God, but they want 10% of the glory as a commission. Uh, they want God's kingdom to come, but they want to get their kingdom and God's kingdom mixed up a little bit so that they profit from it. We don't pray, my name be hallowed, but his name be hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your kingly reign come. This was central to the message of Jesus. When he begins his ministry, the first thing he says is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, terms that are used interchangeably, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's kingly reign over the lives and minds and hearts of men. That's what we pray for. We stand in fear of war and bloodshed, and rightly so, because of the sinful nature of man. He is not building progress upward and onward forever. There is a strain of sin in him that does not lead us to be optimistic about human nature. That's why when you say something is human nature, it's usually not an act of kindness. You ever notice that? When someone does something that's terrible, you say, well, that's just human nature. But when he does something good, you don't say that's human nature because it isn't. Something else happened there. The kingdom is the central message of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, the word kingdom is used by our Lord 49 times, in Mark 16 times, in Luke 38 times. Uh, Jesus said of himself, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For this reason, I am sent. That was what he said right after his encounter with the devil and his defeat of Satan in the temptation. And yet probably the hardest thing for the disciples to believe was the fact that Jesus was not talking about a renaissance or a renewal of the kingdom of David, but a kingdom of which they knew very little. The disciples, when they heard this talk about kingdom, they began to think about an earthly kingdom that would be ushered in right now that would kick the Roman government out and that would cause them to exercise rights that they wanted. But that's not it. And that's what Jesus was at great pains to teach them, that just as it's hardest for us to pray first for his name to be honored, it's hardest for us to pray next that his kingly reign may be realized over the minds and hearts of men. We always think we can do it a better way but we can't do it a better way. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God that he had started in the past through the patriarchs and through the prophets and had spoken of in the psalmist. He is talking about the kingdom present when he said the kingdom is within you. And he is talking about a kingdom future that will one day completely be realized. And so these are things that we need to keep in mind. Thy kingdom, not my kingdom, come. And when we prayed for that, we've got a 
we've got a foundation on which to build. Uh, and it's not some political kingdom. I'll never forget going to a long airplane ride I had from old Idlewild, uh, JFK in New York now, but then it was Idlewild, Leighton Ford, and I rode on a, uh, I think it was a DC-7, all the way from, from New York City, and we touched down uh, uh, at Dakar, uh, in West Africa. We flew, that was at that time the longest overwater flight in commercial aviation. And when we got off the uh, airplane there, I remember meeting with a man with Leighton uh, who was a missionary to the Muslims and who had been working there for years with no visible results. He'd been there something like 12 or 14 years. And I remember Leighton uh, saying to him, how many people have come to Christ? And the man's face looked a little uh, puzzled. And he said, so far none. So far none. But he had gone that far to carry the kingdom of God and to be obedient to that kingdom, to carry the kingly reign of Christ. We left there and went to Monrovia in Liberia. And we left Monrovia and we went to Accra in Ghana. And I remember walking with Leighton down the streets and going up to a statue of Kwame Nkrumah, who had been educated here in the United States. And there was a statue of Nkrumah. And beneath his statue it said he had taken the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 and rephrased them for his own purposes. And it said under his statue, Seek ye first the political kingdom, and all things will be added unto you. Well, Nkrumah's statue is no longer there. It's long since been pulled down and defaced, and he's dead and gone. And that's the way it is with political kingdoms that come and go. But this kingdom of which we are, for which we are praying, which rules over our own lives and which by God's grace we extend to others, is one that will never go whistling down into the dust of history uh, such as this. Uh, for his kingly reign to be realized and done. The Hebrews had a way of teaching things by parallelism. They said a thing and backed it up with something that means almost identically the same thing. And this parallelism here is, Thy kingdom come, not mine, but your will. And uh, so often we want our idea of what God's kingdom ought to be to be extended, but we do not want his kingdom. We, that's why we need to keep coming back to the Bible and praying for what's in keeping with his desire and doing it his way. If we will humbly submit to his way, we'll find that he knows what he is doing. Then we come to this petition, thy will be done. And that leads us to ask the question, what is the will of God? In the light of Christ, the answer is not doubtful. God's will is what pleases God. God's will is what pleases God. And most of us know what would please God, but we want to please ourselves instead. 
it pleases God to give and to promote health. That's why we ought to pray for people who are sick. That's why we pray for our friend Warren Loftus, who we hope will be out of the hospital this week, who's been through a terrible ordeal in the, in the hospital with a unique and difficult heart procedure that's been initiated. We pray for him. And you look about that room there where people wait and are nervous and anxious, and you realize that disease is not a good thing. And so we are thankful to God for those who work to see that disease is put down. Disease is taken away. We pray for that. We know that God's will is purity and not lust. And so that demands of us the exercise of our will that certain things that appear on television ought to be turned off for the simple reason that they ought not to be on it in the first place. It was conceived in sin, and its sole purpose is to recreate that sin in your mind and to hurt you, and if you belong to Jesus, then your task is to get it out of there. He said, you know, some things that are very terrible regarding the doing of his will. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, remember, with just one eye, to be maimed that way. It's costly business to do his will than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Who wants two good eyes in hell? He said, if your foot takes you where you should not go, chop it off and throw it away. If your hand offends you, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to enter the kingdom, that is, to be under his rule and under his reign, maimed, out of harmony with what contemporary society is doing and saying, but under his reign than it is for you to perish in hell. We have very little preaching about judgment, but that doesn't make any difference. There is a judgment, and there is a day of reckoning. It's his will that we should offer service and not be selfish. It's his will that we should give and not always be, and not be grabbing. It is his will that we should love and not hate. And yet, how many grudges are in this room? If they should suddenly be flashed on a screen, everyone would get up and run out in the snow. But you can't say that he's reigning over your life when he's not reigning over your life. You best confess those things and be done with them and get them out. His rule is not the rule of the jungle. And it's not the rule of whatever the market will bear or what other people think is the way to do things. We pray, and you know you can make this prayer personal, thy will be done, thy will be done, and done by me, and done now, 
Not when I don't have any teeth and eyesight and I'm just about to go down to Miller's funeral home. I, I am to give him what I have now and to let him rule over that. And when we do that, we are walking as Jesus wants us to walk. You remember that day when Jesus had talked to that woman at the well of Sychar? Roberta Ashley painted me a picture of that, and I've always kept it back in my office. That woman became so excited, she ran off and forgot the, the water jar that she had come to draw water with. And I think she was so excited that she went off and left that thing because Jesus had entered into a conversation with her when he was tired and hungry and weary and he sat down and he asked her for a drink of water and entered into a conversation that led to the salvation of her soul. And she was so excited that she ran away into the village and told all the people there. And she left that empty water jar standing there. And that's what the artist caught. And that was a good thing to pick up on. And when Jesus' disciples returned, they said, what's come over him? He doesn't look like the same person we left. He doesn't look famished and hungry and thirsty. And Jesus said to them, when they said, has anyone brought you anything to eat? Has someone given you some water to drink? Jesus said, my meat and my drink, the thing that I hunger for, is to do the will of my Father in heaven. And what was the will of his Father in heaven? It was to bear a testimony of love, of the love of God, to give that woman a brand new life. He said, I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father which sent me. If it be possible, you remember, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I have a friend who sends me books to read, and sometimes I get more of them than I can read. And uh, this one came, it's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. The, text, the title of the book is taken from a part of the 139th Psalm. And this man is a surgeon who looks at the human and the spiritual body. I highly recommend this book. It's published by Zondervan. And when I was reading in this book, because this man always asks me if I've read the book, in fact, he gives me 50 days to read it. And uh, so it puts you under pressure to get it read before you run into it. And, uh, uh, it, you know, when, it, when they do that, you almost don't want to read the book. But then when you get over that and read it, it's really a pretty good book. And uh, this turns out to be an extraordinary book. It's already gone through 14 printings, and that's a pretty good uh, indication of it. He tells about how he was called by God to give up a lucrative surgical career to become a medical missionary and a surgeon who specialized in restorative surgery with leprosy. He told of visiting a leprosarium, and this took me back to one that I visited in Thailand. 
he had asked a doctor on a day that he had off. He was only 24 at the time and had gone to Madras in India to teach by contract for only one year because that's all he wanted to do it for, one year in a Christian medical college there. And uh, he had never seen uh, a leprosy patient up close, and so he went out to visit a friend of his who uh, worked in a big leper colony. This friend was a dermatologist. He said uh, uh, that most doctors would not get close to the leprosy patients. And the few who did were, ideal were idealistic or were priests or missionaries. A few minutes later, I noticed a young patient sitting on the ground trying to take his sandal off. His disabled hands would not cooperate as he attempted to wedge the sandal strap between his thumb and the palm of his hand. He complained that he could never grasp things. They always seemed to slip away from his hand. On a sudden impulse, I moved toward him and I said, Please, in his language, may I look at your hand? The young man arose smiling and he thrust his hand forward and I held him in mine. I was almost reluctant, but I traced the deformed figures with my own and I studied them intently. And finally, I pried his fingers open and I placed my hand in his hand in a handshake grip. Squeeze my hand, I said. Squeeze it as hard as you can. To my astonishment, instead of a weak twitch, a sharp, intense pain raced through my palm. His grip was like a vice, with fingers that dug into my flesh like steel talons. He showed no paralysis. In fact, I screamed out for him to let go, and then I looked up at him angrily. But I was disarmed by the gentle, quizzical smile on his face. You see, he did not know he was hurting me, and that was the clue. Somewhere in that severely deformed hand, there were powerful muscles. They were obviously not properly balanced, and he could not feel what force he was using. How could they be free? I felt a tingling as if the whole universe was revolving around me. I knew I had arrived at my place, and that single incident in 1947 changed my life. From that instant, I knew my calling, as surely as a cell in my body knows its function. Every detail, the people standing around me, the shade of the trees, the questioning face of the patient on whose, ha whose hand I was holding, it still is etched in my mind. It was my moment. I felt the call of the Spirit of God. I was made for that one moment in that village, and I knew when I returned to my base, I would have to point my life in another direction, for I had found out that while there were 15 million lepers in the world, there was not one orthopedic surgeon to treat them. He found the will of God. Are we willing to find God's will and to do his will? Jesus said, if any man wills to do the will of my Father, the will of my Father will be revealed to him. 
we got a lot of young people here. And if you'll forgive me for just one more word, I can remember attending a church service. And at the close of it, someone quoted George MacDonald's poem. I said, let me walk in the field. And he said, no, walk in the town. And I said, but there are no flowers there. And he said, no flowers, but a crown. I said, but the skies are black and fog is veiling the sun. He wept as he sent me back. There is more. He said, there is sin. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not have seemed hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. I cast one look at the field and set my face toward the town. He said, my child, do you heal? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Then into my into his hand went mine, and into my heart came he, and I walked with a light divine, the path I had feared to see. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, we seem to sense that the sin behind all the rest of our sin is the sin of prayerlessness, and that this is the worst sin of all, because it makes us dumb and insensitive. It makes us have ears that do not hear, and it makes us not feel, and not desire to know nor to do your will. So we pray that you will create within us a hunger and a thirst for communication with you, that you will speak to us through your word, and that you will then give us the grace and the determination to obey you. And Father, for any here who has not come to that moment of decision, when they have really said it in minute, not my will, but thy will be done in me right now. Help that one to make that decision. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy! And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Chapter 15 And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus, and carried him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. 
But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joses and Salome, who also when he was in Galilee followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate, and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. 
and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. Chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Mark is continued on the other side of this cassette. Please turn the cassette over now.